Hey, good morning. Hey, uh, good morning to you. Uh, glad that you're here with us on this Lord's Day, uh, the first, uh, first Sunday in June, first Sunday of summer. Uh, we're thankful that you're here, uh, that you've gathered with us, uh, knowing that um, you got two years of vacations to squeeze into one summer, and so we're thankful uh, that you are here. Uh, a couple of announcements before we get started, uh, and they're all kids ministry related. Uh, so listen up. I'm just kidding. Um, we are going to fire up our kids' ministry in, um, in a little bit of a different capacity on uh, January. January, that's crazy. That's so far away. Uh, June 27th. Uh, June 27th. It won't look like normal uh, what you have experienced with Kidtown uh, as we have hired uh, Sarah. Uh, and she has started. She's in the back, actually. She's right over there. Um, it's her. She's now kneeling down. This is unprofessional on your first day. Uh, that is, uh, so that's Sarah, she's in the back, uh, say hello to her, uh, as we are starting, uh, to get her acclimated to the job, um, we are going to do, uh, the first Sunday will be open as the 27th, um, that'll be, it'll look a little different, Matt Ackerman will tell you a little bit more about that at the end of the service, uh, and also, if you have, uh, shown interest in volunteering for Kittown, uh, there are some trainings that we need you to go to, uh, there's one after the service, I think today, or after today, today, at some point. Um, you probably won't make that one. Uh, there's also a training on the 27th uh, that you need to go to uh, if you have reached out to Matt or Sarah about volunteering in that capacity. Again, you'll hear a lot more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, so with that said, if you could uh, stand with me, uh, if you're able to, uh, we're going to have our call to worship uh, from Psalm 130. Psalm 130 this morning will be our call to worship. It's another psalm uh, that is in the uh, Psalms of Ascent category, so they would sing this to each other as they were walking to Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem sat up on a hill, and so it's called a Song of Ascent because they're climbing uh, the hill to the, to the city of Jerusalem, and uh, they would sing this back and forth, uh, and it's also one of the first songs uh, that Martin Luther wrote after the, um, after the Reformation. Uh, it's one of the first songs he wrote uh, to really uh, bring art and music to the church. Uh, he put this uh, psalm to uh, modern tune in the 1500s. Uh, and so uh, that's where we'll be this morning. Hear this call to worship from Psalm 130. Uh, let this uh, just wash over your soul. Uh, as, as you come in with tons of uh, sadness, maybe tons of gladness, uh, it may have been a great week, it may have been a terrible week, uh, maybe you love the month of June, maybe you hate it, um, but uh, we know that uh, as we come here, uh, God has said that he will meet us, uh, that he has promised us that, uh, that as we come to his house, uh, it is where he is to be found. And so as we sing and ask uh, for God to reveal himself to us, hear this call to worship from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope my soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's sing to the Lord together. Thank you. 
by the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as
Amen. You can have a seat. Well, I'm Daryl. I'm the uh, assistant pastor here at uh, the 12th South location for Midtown. Uh, Elliot is actually out of town preaching a funeral for Britta's grandfather. Uh, so if you think of Britta or Elliot today, do say a prayer for them. Maybe shoot them a message and uh, let them know you're thinking of them as they are uh, up in Chicago uh, grieving and, and saying goodbye and saying, um, you know, exchanging pleasantries and things like that with family. So uh, I know that he would really appreciate that. Um, but I'm the acting head pastor today. So if you guys need anything, let me know. Uh, The book of Philippians is where we're going to be, Philippians 3, uh, we're going to be in verses 12 through 16. We've been uh, slowly trudging our way through the book of Philippians and all that it has uh, for us from the the Apostle Paul, from the the mouth of God and through Paul's pen, we are learning uh, a lot about what it is to be uh, a church, Uh, a church in, the church in Philippi was uh, a church that was in like an it city, a very popular church. Uh, fun place to be, and uh, that is not unlike us, and so we have a lot to learn uh, from the Philippian church, and as we've been walking, uh, we know that this is called Paul's epistle of joy, that he loved his Philippian church. Uh, He's in jail, he's facing his death, Uh, he's been imprisoned a few times before, but this time is going to result in his uh, his being killed, and so he's writing uh, to the churches that he loves uh, to remind them to stay, uh, to, to hold fast to the Lord, to stay strong in the Lord, to stay strong in their faith. Uh, to stand up in the face of persecution and all those things. And so Paul is writing. Last week uh, is, was the summit of this letter. Uh, it's Paul's great manifesto to us about how righteousness is obtained, uh, that it's only obtained uh, through faith uh, in the Lord Jesus, and that there's nothing we can do to earn that. There's nothing we can do. Uh, to, there's no resume we can bring to God to impress him. Uh, all, that is, uh, all that comes to us only comes to us through faith in Jesus And so that is uh, where we ended last week. We're going to pick up in verses 12 through 16 this week. So if you would, give your attention to the reading of God's holy word from Philippians chapter 3. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead and straining forward, or, sorry, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, four short verses uh, that are uh, chock full of goodness for us this morning. Uh, straight from your... Uh, inspired uh, and holy word uh, you have set aside this morning for us uh, to learn, uh, to hear, uh, to sing of your goodness. And so, Father God, uh, move our hearts to do so. Uh, Move us to repentance. uh, Move us to obedience. Holy Spirit, uh, come and, uh, and move our hearts to see Jesus, to see him as more beautiful, to see him uh, as more believable than all those things that are vying for our heart's affection, even at this moment, uh, that you would come in, Holy Spirit, uh, and remind us of the joy of our salvation, uh, and that we can see Jesus clearly, and that we can leave here rejoicing uh, because you have done great things. And we ask that uh, as we sit here, you forgive our sins, and that you especially would forgive the sins of the messenger, for they are many. And it's in your son's name I do pray. Amen. I spoke to you last week about how 
I spent a lot of years in youth ministry, and we would take these trips uh, out west. And on one particular trip uh, out to the Rockies in Estes Park with an organization called uh, Reformed Youth Ministries, uh, we went out and uh, we got there kind of early, and we're like, hey, let's just go up into the park and uh, we'll go do a hike. And uh, the camp where we were sat at about 9,000 feet. We wanted to go up to about 11,000 feet. Um, none of us had ever been this high. I didn't know what altitude sickness was. Uh, also didn't know how, like, crusty your nose gets when you're up that high. And so uh, we were like, yeah, let's do it. And so, like, our lungs are burning. We're going to the top. Uh, we get to this point. It's called Bible Point, super religious place. Um, and uh, we get to this, the top of this place called Bible Point, and you can see what seems like for a trillion miles. Um, it was wonderful. Uh, wildlife, elk, all over the place. It was just beautiful. We had all packed like a little sandwich lunch, and it was like every youth pastor's dream. Everybody's kind of sitting around and like laughing together and eating their bologna sandwiches or whatever. And uh, just having a blast. And I kind of pulled myself away from the group and went and was just looking over this vista that um, was really like just stirring my heart. It felt a little bit like a hippie, but I was like, man, this is wonderful. Like, this is what they're talking about. Um, and then like four minutes later, I get a tap on my shoulder, uh, and it's this kid, Reed. And Reed said, hey, uh, what are we doing now? What do we do now? And I, super mature, I was super theological with him, um, because I was his mentor and his spiritual head, I was like, I don't know, man, just go over there and look at something. Like, just leave me alone. And, uh, and, and a few minutes later, I had to go and apologize to him and, and ask his forgiveness uh, because he, just, he really just, he was just curious, but I was mad at him. Um, and, that is, and, and then I, as I was talking to him, I was thinking, like, isn't this so much of the Christian life? Uh, when we come to Philippians 3 and all that Paul unpacked for us last week of of the righteousness that is ours through Christ, how we are so loved by him that uh, we can't snatch ourselves away, how um, it is only through true faith in Jesus that we can uh, obtain access to God and gain eternal life. Um, and all that is true, and much like my friend Reed, we can be left asking, well, what do we do now? Uh, now that everything you said about my justification by faith alone uh, that I am uh, as uh, seen as righteous as Jesus was, as if I'd never sinned nor been a sinner. Uh, all these things that, are, that we confess that are true about us. What do we do now? Uh, where do we go uh, when we are equipped with uh, the knowledge of God and the marching orders from God uh, to lean into all that he has for us? When we get to verses 12 and 16 and where we'll spend our time this morning, Paul says, now we seek maturity. Uh, now we seek uh, growing up in the gospel and all that God has for us because God is committed to your maturity. Uh, he saved you, that's certainly true. It's the best news you'll ever hear. Um, on the same side of that coin, God is saying, I have saved you, but I've saved you for a purpose. Uh, he saved us from our sins and now he's saving us to righteousness. And Paul is telling uh, the Philippian church and, and us by reading this letter, uh, that God is so committed to our maturity. And because God is committed to our maturity, believers can now take a hold of the Jesus who has taken hold of us. We take a hold of Jesus who has taken hold of us. We've come from the, we've heard the great news uh, that he has saved us, that he has set us apart, uh, that we're his, that we're marked for eternity by the blood of Jesus. And now Paul says, take a hold of that and grow into it. And Paul tells us to go and be disciples of the Lord Jesus. That's God's purpose. 
And that's his plan for his people. All through scripture, uh, when God, this overarching theme that God will be our God and that we will be his people, his plan within all of that is to make us to look like Jesus. uh, That we would look like his son. uh, That we've been saved uh, and now we're going to take on those attributes uh, that Jesus had. Uh, I used to live in Pigeon Forge, which is a hilarious place to live. And um, there was like this fall festival that took place every year. And there was this dude who did chainsaw carving, and I was like, that's cool. Um, and I was like, what do you do? Like, how'd you do that? And so I had so many questions for this guy. And I was like, how do you make a bear out of a block of wood with a chainsaw? And he's like, well, I just fire up the chainsaw, and I cut away everything that doesn't look like a bear. And I was like, I, that doesn't help me, but sure. Like, I sound, yeah, that's probably what you do. Nice mission statement, sir. Um, when we come before God, he's going to take his, uh, chainsaw's a little harsh. We're going to, he's going to, we'll say hammer and chisel. We'll keep it classy. Uh, he's going to take his hammer and his chisel, and he's going to start chipping away all those areas that we don't look like Jesus. He's going to start, uh, we see this in, in Scripture, the metaphor of pruning trees, uh, of chipping away, all those things. He's making us to look like Jesus. That's his goal for us. And as his people, we are to allow the Trinity to pick up that hammer and that chisel and begin carving away all those places that we don't look like Jesus. So we're going to see three things in this passage this morning. First is uh, sanctification uh, and satisfaction in serving the God who gets you. Second is the self-forgetfulness that comes through serving the God who grows you. And lastly, the security in the God who grips you. So satisfaction, self-forgetfulness, and security. So let's climb uh, the mountain of what God has for us this morning. If we look back at verse 12, uh, he says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is Paul reflecting again on the great manifesto in verses 1 through 11. I would, uh, I would implore you to go back and read those verses uh, when you get home uh, because Paul has deposited a lot of paint on the canvas of Christianity. And he and he's, has painted this glorious portrait of the Christian story. This wildly upside-down idea. Uh, the, uh, Christianity is, is exclusive in this. Uh, Christianity is the only religion that, that does this. Uh, that the God of the universe is head over heels in love with you. Uh, that he loves his people. That those who are set apart for him, his elect, he loves them uh, so much uh, that Jesus left heaven to go and buy them back. This is what Paul is reminding us of, uh, that God has gotten them, that Jesus has gotten the Philippian church, that he has them, and the God who is at work to get all of his elect has done so through the submission to, to his father, through the life and the death uh, and the resurrection of his son Jesus, who gave his life as a ransom for us. Paul is saying in verse 12, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That Christ Jesus has made us his own. That is such great news for us this morning. Uh, That what Jesus did, this will be your theological word of the day, that he imputed his righteousness to us. uh, That all that was Jesus's, all that was Christ's, became ours. Uh, His perfect obedience, uh, his perfect submission, uh, his perfect love. Uh, his perfect works, his perfect relationship with the Lord. All that stuff became ours uh, on the cross, and, and our sin became his. Uh, Paul says that he made him who, uh, who knew no sin to become sin so that we could become children of God. 
that Christ imputed his righteousness to us. He gave us his righteousness. And in return for that, we gave him our sin. It's like the worst post-game jersey exchange ever. It's the worst white elephant gift exchange ever. Um, but it's also the best. Uh, that we get all of, of Christ's good works and all of Christ's glory and all of Christ's goodness and his closeness to the Father. He takes our sin away from us. And that we would be given this robe of righteousness in exchange for a crown of thorns. And Paul says, this is ours. Every morning that you wake up, every evening, every moment that we're before the throne of God, we are seen through the lens of the blood of Christ that covers us. And because of that, we are now given the proper motivation to find satisfaction in serving him. Uh, Because we remember uh, what Paul says in verses 1 through 11 Uh, that he did all the work that he did as a Pharisee because he wanted God to love him. He thought, if I obey, if I do this perfectly, then God has to love me. Paul did it, they just call it Phariseeism. We do it all the time, we just don't call it that. Uh, That we obey to try to get God to love us, that we think uh, if we do it all right, uh, then God owes us one at the end. Uh, And we see in the story of the prodigal son, Uh, if you remember that story from Luke uh, 15, uh, that there was this older brother who did everything right, and he still missed his father's love. Uh, Paul says, I was him. I was him. I did everything right, right? I was a Pharisee. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I did everything correctly, and I did everything right, and I still missed God. Uh, Because we grow up and we think uh, that we only miss God by doing those bad things, right? That we do, uh, that it's like uh, the, the Christianity that I grew up with was this like three-piece suit and green bean casserole. Christianity that said, hey, just don't drink or chew or go with girls that do and you'll be okay. Uh, that, that God will love you. Uh, like make sure you read your Bible and go to church and pray. All those are good things. All good things. Uh, but none of them save us. And Paul is saying, I did everything right. I obeyed that God would love me, and the gospel says God loves me, so now I go obey. Verse 12, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The right motivation for obeying God is that we do so because he loves us the way that he loves us. We don't obey to get him. he's, He's gotten us. He has us. And because of that, we can now go and press on to make it our own because Christ Jesus has made us his own. This is the first step in discipleship. The first step in living our new life given to us in Jesus is by seeing that we would never have moved to him unless he first moved to us. We never would have moved to Jesus without Jesus first moving to us. This is all over scripture. Uh, it's, it's, all over, it's written all over creation. It's very unflattering. It's a very unflattering notion, Uh, and that's the thing about Scripture, is that Scripture really is not that complimentary to our souls. Uh, The gospel story is really not that complimentary to us. Uh, It's very unflattering that we were so bad uh, that Jesus Christ had to come to earth to save us. And the flip side of being is that we were so loved that he was happy to do so. He was glad to do it. Uh, but, but they're both true at the same time, right? We were so bad that we needed Jesus to come. God says to Israel over and over in the New Testament, I didn't choose you because you were great. I didn't choose you because you were wonderful. I didn't choose you because you did everything right. He says, I chose you because I chose you. I chose you because I wanted to. 
uh, that all of that was on him, that it was his decision to look at Israel and say, I will set you apart simply because I want to. That he comes uh, to us, if you're a Christian this morning, and says, I've set you apart because I wanted to set you apart. Uh, it wasn't anything you did that caught my attention. You just existed, and I chose you. I looked down the hall of history and said, I will make you mine. Uh, that's the gospel story. It's not that flattering to us, uh, yet it's still the best news uh, that we could ever hear, that even on our best day, even on our best day, we're like a bear on roller skates or like a giraffe on ice or like me on a dance floor. We're weak and we're wobbly and we're awkward and we're weird, uh, yet we're so beloved by the creator of the universe that every moment we exist, we're delighted in by Jesus. We press on toward the goal because Christ Jesus has loved us. We press on to make it ours because Christ Jesus has made us his own. Jesus fulfills all that scripture has written. When Adam messed up and was tempted by the, by the devil in the garden and they ate the fruit and then sin happened, Jesus undoes that when he's tempted by the devil in the wilderness and he overcomes him. That when the devil threw everything he had at Jesus to get him to disobey his father, Jesus said, I won't have any of it. There's nothing that the devil could have promised Jesus that would have made any sense anyway. He takes Jesus up to the top and he says, hey, look, all this can be yours. Just disobey God. Which is ridiculous. It was already Christ's anyway. Um, he goes into the desert, he fights Satan, and he wins. He's the only human that's ever done it. You can't beat the devil. You can try, but you're not going to. Jesus is the only one who's done it, and after he does it, he steps up to the microphone and says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's bound the strong man. He undid what Adam did. He undoes what Moses does. Uh, that Moses, who brought God's people out of slavery and into the promised land, and then Moses sins and he doesn't enter the promised land with his people, Jesus comes and says, I've brought you out of your slavery to sin, and I'm taking you to the promised land, and I'll be there with you. Uh, that there's no sin that's going to keep him out. He's done it perfectly. That he's the true David, who sinned as the king of Israel, this great king who was chosen uh, by the priests of the temple to, to lead Israel, to be Israel's next king after Saul had messed up uh, so, so radically. Uh, Jesus comes and says, I'm the true David. In all those areas that David was great, I'm greater. In all those areas that David failed, I fulfilled those. Jesus has come and says, Scripture is all about me. Take a hold of me because I've taken hold of you. Take a hold of me because I've written the story that you're living in. Take a hold of me that he would rend the heavens and pour blessing after blessing upon us. That's the God who we serve. And Paul says, it's my satisfaction to serve a God like that. I'm not satisfied in my resume. I'm not satisfied in my striving. I'm satisfied to serve a God who first loved me. And he says, not that I'm one day to be perfect, but instead that Jesus Christ gets me. He doesn't serve God so that he could be made perfect. He serves God because he loves God, because God loved him. And he'll be made perfect uh, as a byproduct of that. The fuel for the journey of transformation and discipleship is this, that Jesus Christ loved us and that he gave himself up for us. And because of this, we can forget what lies behind and we can move further up and further in to what God has laid aside for us 
which brings us to our second point, our self-forgetfulness through the God who grows us. If we look at verses 13 and 14 here, Paul reminds us here of what some theologians have called the double grasping that takes place in the Christian. Uh, Verses 13 and 14 say this, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a double grasping that takes place. Christ has grasped us. He has taken a hold of us. Paul said that in verse 12. And now we, in turn, take a hold of him who has taken a hold of us. Uh, That Christ has revealed himself. He's redeemed Paul. He's brought him from death to life. And he's reoriented the whole entire trajectory of his life. And now the call on Paul's life and the call on our own life is to take that laser-like devotion that we had, um, the laser-like focus we had, Tim Keller says, uh, of pursuing all those things outside of God. Uh, for Paul, this was pursuing his own moral righteousness and being correct. That could be the same for you. Uh, but whether we're pursuing uh, the ambition we have toward our job, the ambition we have toward finding a spouse, the ambition we have toward being a good spouse, Paul says we now take all of that and we take that laser-like focus we have on all these small areas of life and we turn that uh, and focus it on being a disciple of Jesus. That we follow Jesus in such a way with such ferocity uh, and, and such fanaticism uh, that the laser-like focus of the love of God, the all-pursuing power of God uh, that was shown on you and him coming to get you, uh, we now receive that and we turn our own laser-like focus towards serving God, uh, toward uh, living a life that's pleasing to him because he is already pleased with us. Uh, the first step is realizing that God is the one who moves first. The next step in discipleship is realizing that he asks us to step along with him. Uh, that he now sweeps us up in this wonderful journey. Uh, and how do we do this? How do we follow God in such a way? Uh, how do we follow God in this way when so much of the world seeks to distract us? How do we saddle up our horses like Stephen Curtis Chapman said? Um, it's by forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. This is the call to discipleship, and it's the hardest part about discipleship. Forgetting what lies behind. Letting all those things die so that we can move forward uh, in following God. Jesus says this himself in the book of Mark, that no one who uh, has his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That we forget what lies behind, that we move Uh, to what lies ahead because remember that's what Paul does Paul models this for us Paul had it all Uh, Paul was everything Um, and Paul says I lay aside all that I had all the notoriety uh, all the fame uh, all all the obedience that I thought was mine I lay all that behind and I move forward uh, to following Jesus because Paul was a Pharisee and I said this last week Paul would have been a great neighbor you would have loved to have Paul as a neighbor you'd love Paul as a roommate uh, you'd love Paul as a kid. We all want our kids, to, we really want our kids to be Pharisees. We want them to obey us. Um, but Paul uh, is saying, I was all those things. And Paul would have been a great guy. Paul would have lied for sure, uh, but he probably would have lied a whole lot. Uh, Paul was very good at keeping the commandments, uh, at least outwardly. And now that Paul's a Christian, Paul's going to lie, but he's probably not going to lie that much. Uh, there are still things about our old life that are true because we are us, when we come into following Jesus, that we're still going to have sins, uh, 
Um, but the difference is we take those to Jesus, uh, that we let Jesus come in. And too often the call for discipleship is a call uh, really to like stop and buckle down and never try to do anything wrong again. Jesus has saved you, now you have to go be good. Sure, salvation was by grace, uh, but now you really have to like show yourself worthy. Uh, now you have to ask what would Jesus do at all those moments. Uh, now you have to throw out your secular CDs and get your Christian ones. Uh, now you have to do all this stuff, and Paul's saying none of that is true. All of it is by grace. Um, it's still pharisaical thinking that creeps in. This is still the Judaizers teaching in the first 11 verses uh, that, that grace is good, but circumcision is good too. You need to do that. Uh, the pharisaical thinking still creeps in, but Paul is saying, leave that behind. Leave it behind because all it is is a poison to you. Run forward. The grace that saved you is the grace that keeps you. Hang out in that and stay there. Uh, I referenced the prodigal son story. If you remember the younger brother who came to his senses as he was feeding uh, the pigs and he said that he longed, uh, Scripture tells us he longed to eat the food that the pigs were eating uh, in the parable that Jesus was teaching about there. And uh, the younger brother says, I will go to my father's house. And if I can just be like a servant there, if I can just be one of his hired men, that's going to be far better than what I have here. And he rehearses this speech over and over. He's already written uh, this big, long litany that he's going to present to his father. And when he sees his dad, or rather his dad sees him, his dad moves to him, runs to him, and kisses him. And then he goes on this wonderful, wonderful dialogue uh, where he's screaming out, Hey, kill the fat calf, get sandals on his feet, get him a new robe, get him a ring. The son of mine who was dead is alive. He's come home, he's now mine. Nowhere in that story did the son get to give his speech to his dad. See, the kiss comes before the repentance, not the repentance before the kiss. Now, when he ran out to kiss him, uh, it's the kindness, Paul says in the book of Romans, that leads us to repentance, not the other way around. Uh, and if, it's as true when, if, it, if that's true when we get saved, it's even true in our discipleship. That we follow Jesus in much the same way. Uh, that it's all of grace from beginning to end. Uh, that God has a hold of them. And what Paul has done and what God is calling you to do this morning is to refocus that energy uh, that we had uh, to obeying him or that we had from running from him and to refocus that energy into following him and what he has for us. And that's hard to do, especially in this city. And this is Nashville. Uh, this congregation is so ambitious. It's what makes it wonderful. It's why we're the size we are. It's why we have uh, the giving receipt that we have. Uh, it's why we're doing the work in the city that we're doing. It's an ambitious congregation. Uh, this week I had uh, a meeting with a dude who does facial reconstruction surgery, but only on the top half of the face. I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, I met with uh, a financial guy who tried to tell me what he does at his job. It sounds illegal, but I guess it makes sense. Um, <laughs> there's, so, there's so much wisdom and wit and beauty and goodness in this congregation. It's what makes it great. It's our greatest asset, but it's also our greatest liability. Because we can depend on those things. We can depend on that. I can make a lot of money, and God wants you to make a lot of money. Um, I, can, I can be the smartest person in the room, be the smartest person in the room. If you're beautiful, be beautiful. 
You can do all those things. All that is great. Um, it's a great asset. It's a gift given to us by God. It's also our greatest liability because we want to depend on those things uh, to make us right. That when it feels like everything is shaking and everything is falling down around us, we can, uh, we can appeal uh, to those things, uh, uh, those strengths that we have, forgetting uh, that they're God-given. And forgetting that God doesn't necessarily care about those. God loves you. God wants your heart. Paul is saying, lay all that aside. Forget about it. Don't pretend like it doesn't matter because that's not true. It does matter. Your job matters. Who you are matters. All those things matter. The hurts that have been done to you, all that matters. We honor those things. And we still move forward into what God has for us. Into the upward call of forgetting ourselves and moving into who God has grown us up to be. Uh, and how does he grow us through this upper call? Through making us more like Jesus. The union with Christ that is given to us at our salvation, is the union with Christ to the degree that we begin to look like him. And that might sound like a lot, and it's because it is. Because following Jesus costs us something. Right? Our salvation didn't cost us anything. It cost God everything. Our salvation was a gift to us, given to us. Sanctification is also a gift given to us. Uh, but that's, that's where it costs us. Because we're going to have to start saying no to things that we like. Uh, there are going to be things that God is going to call you to give up that you love to do. Um, and we have to ask ourselves, when was the last time I gave something up for God just because I wanted to give it up? Not because it sent my life into a whirlwind. Um, how can we give things up to God before it gets to that point? Uh, how can we give those things up for God? Following Jesus is going to cost us, and that's what Paul says. We forget what lies behind, that we move forward, that Christianity, as I said last week, has not been found tried, uh, has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. Christianity is a very hard religion. Um, and what Paul says, what Christianity teaches, is that the Christian uh, is set apart, that the Christian is to be marked by God and marked by the knowledge of God. Uh, Proverbs says that, the, that, that knowledge of God is the beginning of wisdom. The Lord said through the prophet Jeremiah, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, and let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands me and that he knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. And for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The way that you know that you know God is that you have a consuming passion to know him more. That's what Paul is saying here. We, we forget what lies behind. We press on uh, to what lies ahead. And what lies ahead for the Christian is a deeper and a greater knowledge of the God who loves them so. Uh, and, and in that we begin to look like Jesus. We begin to uh, look like Jesus in the way that he obeyed. We begin to look like Jesus in the way that he loved. We begin to look like Jesus in the way that he cared uh, for the poor. Remember what we just read in, in the verse in Jeremiah, that we begin to practice steadfast love to those around us, that we seek justice for the underprivileged, for the poor and the powerless living among us, that righteousness is granted to you uh, by a Jesus who didn't just do the bare minimum to save you, and because of that, we don't just do the bare minimum, right? Uh, we move forward in discipleship that's going to cost us something. Um, but we do so knowing uh, that Jesus leads the way. And that Jesus, uh, that we are satisfied in serving him. That we have a self-forgetfulness in serving him. And lastly, 
uh, that we have a security in how we serve Jesus. There's a security that comes in knowing that God has gripped us. And we see this lastly here in verses 15 and 16, uh, where Paul writes, let me find it. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul says, grasp the God who has grasped you. Uh, that there is a security in knowing uh, that even in our, in our discipleship journey, even when we mess up and we're going to do so, uh, that God still isn't going to kick us to the curb. Uh, that God is still going to hold us because we don't just come to Christ without his uh, coming to us first. And we don't grow in Christ without Christ growing us. We also have the security of knowing that Christ has us in his grip and he will not let us go. Uh, we see this in, in Christ's teaching in the gospel uh, that, who comes to, that who comes to Jesus, he will no wise cast out. That he holds us in the palm of his hand and that Satan can't come and snatch us out. Uh, Paul, in his wonderful teaching in the book of Romans, uh, of all the things that can separate us from the love of God, Paul says there's nothing. He goes and he names almost every possible thing that exists. And he says none of these things can, can separate you from the love of God. And all of them fail uh, to achieve the purpose uh, of the purpose that Satan has set out to take you away from God, all those things are going to fail because Jesus has you in his hand. And even in that list of all the things that, uh, that Paul lists, that uh, powers and principalities, uh, things to come, things, things behind, all these things uh, that Paul names that could have come and taken us away from God, he even states, not even you can do that. You can't even take yourself out of God's hand if he has claimed you, if he grips you, and he does. That we can't even take ourselves out of his hand, not our doubting, uh, not our sin, not our deconstruction. None of those things can take us from the hand of God. And Paul says here in 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will, will reveal that to you also. That maturity is a process. It's not just given to us. Uh, it's something we have to work toward. Uh, it's one of two things. Maturity and wisdom are very similar. Uh, it's one of two things in the Bible you're guaranteed to get if you ask for it. Uh, in the book of James, let him, who has, uh, let him who lasts wisdom ask for it. And God who gives all good things will gladly give it to you. The other thing is the Holy Spirit that walks along with us. You're guaranteed to get wisdom if you ask for it. Uh, Paul is saying, go and ask for that wisdom and be okay with not knowing the answer. That maturity is going to take a while. So ask, ask freely of Jesus uh, to give us the wisdom to move into all those things he has stored up for us. Ask boldly for the Holy Spirit to show us those places where we don't look like Jesus in our giving, where we don't look like Jesus in our sexuality, where we don't look like Jesus in our attitudes and in our families, and ask that God brings out the chisel and starts to chip away at our frail humanity to reveal the Holy Ghost power that lies beneath. Uh, this is his plan for you, Christian, to make you to look like Jesus. Uh, that we would be satisfied in that plan of God making us look like Jesus. Uh, that we would forget those things that lie behind. That we would say, Father, God, command as you will. Come and chip away all those areas um, that we don't look like him. That we can move forward uh, for what he has for us. Uh, this is why we have communion. Uh, this is why we come to the table. Uh, if you have your little kit, uh, you can pull that up. If you don't have it, they're on the table back there. Somebody might launch one to you. Um, 
this is why we have the Lord's table, uh, the table that God has set for us, uh, the table where God bids us uh, to come to him. Uh, it's where God allows us to come and slide our knees under his table, uh, that all the things that we have tried uh, to gain his righteousness in all those ways and have failed, he says to come. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God promises you rest. He promises you wisdom. He promises you the Holy Spirit. Uh, we ask for these things. We come to God knowing that even in this little kit, which is goofy and tastes terrible, uh, still there is a power that lies within it. There's a power in what we're about to do. Uh, that we truly believe that Jesus is with us. And we don't believe, as the Catholics believe, that this is actually the body and the blood of Jesus, right? We don't say that. Uh, we don't believe, as, as maybe some other uh, traditions believe, that this is simply a memorial service, that we remember good old Jesus and like his macaroni salad, and we're going to drink this because he was great. Uh, we take this and we say that there is a mystical, sweet communion that's about to happen between us and between God. John Calvin says it's the one place that the Christian can poke his head into heaven. Uh, that we can take this and for a second, even for a moment, we're, trans we're transformed and we're moved uh, in such a sweet, un or a sweet bound communion with the Godhead that we can say Jesus is in this. We don't know how, and it's crazy to even think it, but it's true. Uh, so we come to his table. Uh, we come to his table. Um, this isn't a table. This isn't just a midtown table, right? It's not just a Presbyterian table. Uh, this is a table for the people of God, the meal of God for the people of God, as the Reformers would say, uh, that we can come to this um, knowing that when we get there, we're going to be met with grace and we're going to be met with mercy. Uh, but Paul says there are ways in which we can take this in an unworthy manner and that we're to avoid those. Uh, the unworthy manner, the, uh, the unworthy ways that we can take this, one, uh, is believing that we deserve it. Uh, that God is lucky to have me over for dinner. Uh, that God, God should be pleased uh, that I would grace his presence at his table. Uh, Paul says we don't come that way. Uh, we come as those who have uh, laid down our arms, uh, laid down our weapons, and said, Jesus, command as you will. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That's how we come to this table. Uh, another unworthy way of taking this is if you're not a Christian. Uh, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you haven't uh, surrendered your life uh, to the Lordship of Jesus, we ask that you don't partake. Uh, Paul says that you drink judgment on your head if you do so. Uh, we want to avoid that as best we can. Um, and so as we are partaking of the Lord's table, if you're not a Christian this morning, we ask uh, that you would sit and do business with the Lord. Uh, that you would come find me, that you would come find Ackerman, that you would find one of our elders, Randy Miller is down here as well, uh, who would love to pray for you uh, and would love to walk you right into the arms of Jesus. Uh, if you're not a Christian this morning, don't partake. Uh, and the other is if uh, you are, if you're here and you have small children uh, who have not yet uh, had a conversation with an elder or a pastor uh, about uh, what exactly it means to come to the Lord's table. We ask that they uh, just let the plate pass by as well. Uh, and so, uh, but for the rest of us, uh, for those who have looked at Jesus and said, uh, you are greater uh, than anything else in my life, uh, that we look to Jesus and said, 
um, that nothing is more beautiful than what we find in the arms of Jesus, that we can come to you uh, rejoicing. We can come to you, we can slide our knees under your table knowing that you will serve us of this cup. Uh, this is for you. Uh, the band's going to come. I'm not sure where they are. Um, I think they, musicians, right? What are you going to do? Um, <laughs> class. class. Two of them are volunteers. I'll let you guess which two. Um, that they're going to come, they're going to play a, a song for us. Um, I'm not sure what it's called, but it's a song. You'll, you'll recognize music when it plays. Um, and that for that song, you would sit and think of all that Jesus has done for you. Um, that you can partake at any moment during that. Um, and then at the end of that time, uh, Joseph will ask us to stand and we'll sing boldly of all that God has done. Uh, and so as you have your kit, you'll peel back that top little membrane. Uh, and that's where you'll find uh, the wafer. And, and Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread and he broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, uh, the second membrane, uh, you'll peel that back, and that's where you'll find your juice. Uh, Christ said, this is my body, or rather, this is my blood shed for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink, all of you, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim my death until the day of my return. So Christian, uh, let us run and not walk to all that God has for us. Um, the band's going to play. Anytime during that song, um, you can partake. Uh, but know that you are loved by the God of the universe. So let us eat freely and drink deeply of that goodness.